Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's a great pleasure to welcome today's program, Mike Regan, who's co-founder and chief of relationship development at Transact Technologies. And today we're going to talk about the new supply chain landscape, why moving up the supply chain spectrum is imperative. So if you're in a transportation, if you're a transportation or logistics professional, uh, I'm, I'm sure you probably already know and follow, you know, Mike. Um, you know, he has a wealth of knowledge and experience in the industry. Um, it's not every day here on Talking Logistics that we have a, um, a CSCMP Distinguished Service Award recipient, which Mike received in, in 2014. Um, he's just, uh, you know, working with clients and his connections in the industry. You know, he's got a great pulse on industry trends and, and best practices, which he shares via his newsletter and his two-minute warning uh, videos, which uh, I highly recommend if you're not, um, you know, subscribed to them. So it's great to have Mike on the program to share some insights and advice for supply chain logistics professionals as they prepare for their strat, you know, they prepare their strategy and plans for 2023. So Mike, welcome to the program. Adrian, as always, it's a pleasure to uh, be with you in this talk in logistics. It's one of my favorite uh, news sources and you always have some great topics. So I'm looking forward to uh, our discussion today. Great. You know, Mike, I, I think the last time you were on this program, I was trying to figure it out. It's been a few years for sure. Um, and I think it's safe to say that, uh, you know, the world is a little bit different <laughs> today than it was, let's say, four or five years ago. Um, yeah. so, so with that, um, why don't we go straight to the topic? I mean, we, you know, we, we kind of titled today's episode, you know, the new supply chain landscape. So so what is it? What is the new supply chain landscape? And, and how would you characterize the environment the supply chain logistics pro you know, professionals find themselves in today and, and heading into 2023? Well, uh, the great question, Adrian, and, and I would just start out by saying one of the realities of the supply chain today is, you know, we, we used to give a presentation about supply chain goes into the boardroom. Uh, but today, uh, the new supply chain environment is companies that once took their supply chains for granted, kind of like flicking on a switch and electricity happens, understand today that it's a lot more than just flicking on a switch. It can have a critical impact on a company's success. And one of the things I like to just share with folks uh, was encapsulated with a conversation that I had with a CEO about three, four weeks ago. And he was talking about his supply chain issues and brought up the fact, he said, you know, my pre-COVID, I was spending three to 5% of my time on supply chain related activities. Today, I'm spending 70 to 75% of my time. And practically speaking, one of the challenges that I think this is posed for organizations is when you take a look at the supply chain and what portion of the sales dollar it represents, it's eye-opening for a lot of folks. So uh, we could have a debate on this. I've given a ton of presentations to a couple thousand C-level executives over the past year. But one of the things we like to highlight is that when I take a look at my supply chain in its entirety, not just the freight and logistics, but the warehousing, distribution centers, inventory-related issues, it typically is going to be 12 to 20% of a company's sales dollar. So I was having a conversation with the CEO here. I've been you know, active in a group called Young Presidents Organization, and I chaired this network, the Manufacturing Excellence Network, with about 4,000 members. So I've had a lot of these conversations. But the CEO had one of his supply chain people call me and the supply chain person was seeing this as a three to $4 million freight issue. But one of the things I highlighted for the CEO 
was that it was actually their total supply chain spend, freight activity, warehousing flowing through the company was actually about a 65 to $75 million issue. So in the quote unquote new supply chain environment, if you want to call that, I hesitate to use the proverbial new normal. I think companies are recognizing that when you have an area that's 12 to 20% of your sales dollar, you have to have a different approach. You have to invest in managing that. It can't just be like going back to the electricity example, something that you can take for granted and assume, you know, you're never going to have an issue. Yeah, those, those are some great anecdotes. And I, and I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, first of all, um, you know, the fact that, you know, the CEO is spending in that example you gave, CEO is spending, you know, much more time on supply chain related issues than in the past. I mean, I think that's that that's one of the um, uh, positives, if you will, uh, from, from a different perspective yeah. of the pandemic is that now CEOs and CFOs are much more aware about the role and importance of supply chains to their PL and balance sheet and and their ability to execute their you know their their strategies. So, so I think that's certainly you know one positive you know development. But I think the, the last point you brought up is, is is critically important too because you know we we've talked historically in this industry about how we need to break down the silos within yeah. supply chain, right? Transportation, warehousing, <laughs> the yard, you know, things that happen upstream and, and downstream, because I think it's very easy to hyper-focus on, let's say, one aspect of it. Let's say, oh, look at the rates in ocean or look at the rates in in, in, in trucking, but not realizing that this has a ripple effect uh, across your supply chain and across your operations, right? It's happening. It's going to impact your labor costs in the warehouse if you don't have a, an efficient, you, you know, if you're not really thinking about this in a more holistic an integrated way, and I think the example you gave, I think, is is a, a good example of that. How yeah, you, know, you might think it's a X million dollar opportunity, but the uh, or challenge or problem, but it's actually multiple times of that because you're you're only looking at it through very a, a myopic lens. You know, and Adrian, you you have done such a good job with your you know your research groups and this type of thing. Yeah, one of the other aspects that you you know you touched on is the challenges and opportunities that this presents for supply chain professionals. And practically speaking, one of the issues that we've really tried to help people focus on, it deals with risk and reward. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. One of his favorite sayings was, you know, when it comes to risk and reward, most people want to eat like ants and poop like elephants. They want a minimum level of risk and a maximum amount of reward. Well, here's the opportunity for supply chain professionals. When your C-level executive gets it, that he's dealing with 12 to 20% of his sales dollars, he is basically, or she is going to be looking for input. She's going to be looking for ideas. She's going to be looking for opportunities to save here or use the supply chain to grow sales there. And you know, one of the things that uh, I just had lunch here today with the, the VP of supply chain, and you know, we were talking about, you know, looking at bringing some of their supply chain back to the States. You know, from China uh, right now, you know, a lot of the companies are now understanding that as I, you know, my supply chain is elongated, the risk factor associated with that elongation increases. But, you know, looking at this from a perspective of bringing it back to the States is a completely different model. And yet you say, well, that's going to be higher labor cost. But from a supply chain perspective, that may more than offset the labor cost component. And so that presents a wonderful opportunity uh, for supply chain professionals to step up to the plate. 
and I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I think that the bottom line is that, um, you know, those companies that are are questioning the status quo are, are the ones that are going to unlock and you know, identify and unlock some of these opportunities that um, uh, you just talked about, you know, but there's also you know, kind of talking the talk and, and walking the talk, right? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of companies talk about wanting to, you know, create a great supply chain, but that's probably as far as they go sometimes, well, at least historically, that's been the case. Uh, you know, when, when you talk to a client, you know, a prospect, I mean, how do you know if they're really serious about transforming their supply chain and, and, and getting from, let's say, good to great, to quote that famous book? Well, you know, and, and let me just briefly touch on it. You know, one of the things I give during my presentation, and like I said, that's probably two over 2,000 people have heard this. We talk about the supply chain spectrum with five being a strategic supply chain that is holistic, as you were mentioning, Adrian, that is also uh, proactive in addressing what's coming at them versus one, which is siloed, reactive, and basically very tactical. They're always focused on the least cost here or the least cost there. And here's something that really shocked me. I have everyone stand up and say, you know, I explain what five is, world-class, one is third world, three is average, three is average. And then I say, if your supply chain is rated higher than a three, keep standing. Adrian, 85 to 90% of the audience sits down. So then we ask the question, you know, you mentioned good to great, you have an area that's 20, 12 to 20% of your sales dollar, and it's average at best and probably mediocre. Now you say you want a great supply chain in answer to your question. So I like to say, there are three questions you need to answer for me. First, do you have a written supply chain plan that documents how your supply chain works, the critical aspects affecting your supply chain? The, the whole, uh, you know, some of the issues associated with, you know, stress testing and mapping your supply chain. Uh, you know, our, our friend David Simchi Levy from MIT has been really kind of opened my eyes to this. And they, very few companies have a written supply chain plan. So I said, do you have a cybersecurity plan? Yes. Disaster recovery plan? Yes. I could go sales and marketing plan? Yes. Why do you have those plans? Because it's a priority item but you don't have a supply chain plan, which tells me from your perspective, you think it can handle, you know, go by osmosis, people walking around with these ideas in your head, or you put it down on paper. The second thing, have you mapped your supply chain? And, you know, I heard a great presentation from a gentleman at IBM, Lewis, about how IBM has approached this. They have basically not only mapped their supply chain, but the third question, have you stress tested your supply chain? And IBM has gone down to their fifth layer of suppliers. Now, here's the problem. If you haven't mapped your supply chain and you haven't stress tested your supply chain, when the great crisis of 2021 and 2022 struck, you changed your inventory from a lean just in time to a just in case, which means that you now have excess inventory, a mix issue, which is costing you huge dollars on your you know, inventory carrying cost, your balance sheet. The other thing is your, your things like your cash conversion cycle is out of whack because your, your lead time on shipments coming in in the Trans-Pacific lanes have gone from 35 days to 55 days. And the interesting thing about it is, Adrian, 
for these people that have taken their supply chain like electricity for granted and are content with having a mediocre supply chain or average supply chain, practically speaking, they're having different discussions with their bankers now <laughs> about cash flow. And, and one of the things that I get amped up about, and I could go on and on, but I, 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 I appreciate this. You know, when companies get serious about moving up the supply chain, when going from two to a three or a three to a four, they can affect cost savings of anywhere from eight to 15 or even 20%. We do this thing called the rapid assessment. The least that we've ever come up with is 8%. And here's the exciting percent. I mean, the, the exciting part, we've had 20, 25% success rates. Here's the great thing. The changes they need to make, they don't have to have negotiations with their carriers all the time. They don't need to do different three PLs. It basically looks at changing their practices and processes within their own organization, things over which they have control. But we say to the CEO, you know, don't tell me, or the COO, the CFO, CSO, don't tell me, show me the written plan, map your supply chain, stress test it, show me where you're investing in it, show me the KPIs that you're going to be used to measure it. You don't measure, you know, you don't measure, you can't manage. So these are some of the things that we like to show people when they walk the talk. I apologize for that long answer, Adrian, but you know how amped up I get about this stuff. No, a, a, a lot of great information there to, to you know to, to unpack. I mean, I, I certainly agree 100% with the uh, you know mapping your supply chain. That's something that I've been you know also talking a lot about and and uh, you know does some research around. And, and you're right, it's amazing. And all the research that we've done in that area, you know, relatively few companies have mapped their supply chain beyond tier one, right? So and even Isn't that that's, amazing. It's amazing. And um, so so it's not surprising when, you know, all of a sudden they discover that, you know, they think they're in a good shape to your point about stress testing it, but they don't realize that, um, you know, some tier two or tier three supplier that produces a little bolt or a screw or a fastener is the critical link in their supply chain and, uh, you know, can can bring their whole company down and, and uh, you know, impact sales and profitability and, and, and so forth by not having that visibility because we we often talk about visibility to orders and shipments and inventory but the one one of the biggest black holes is you know visibility to the actual supply chain in terms of you know where are my manufacturers or my suppliers located what's what's being produced at each of their manufacturing facilities that flow into you know my products and what's the financial impact if any of those you know, product lines have to, you know, shut down, so on and so forth. So I think that's an area that uh, most companies, I would say, um, have underinvested in, you know, historically. I think it's one of the, the key lessons learned from, you know, the past couple of years. Can I offer a brief observation? Uh, yeah. David Simchi Levy, uh, we had him do a course for our, our YPO Manufacturing Excellence Network, a two-part part, uh, course, or three-part. People loved it. He brought up the fact that when Ford mapped and stress-tested their supply chain, the part that could bring Ford to its knees, the part that could bring them to its knees was 10 cents. And it never showed up on their previous analysis because the aggregate spend with that supplier wasn't great enough to be included in their analysis. And, and I'll tell you something, Adrian, I, I, I had a very sobering, you know, David Simchi Levy, and, and you're an expert in this and you've done great work here. You know, he talks about the total time to survive, total time to recover from a supply chain disruption. I was having a conversation with an executive here, and I've asked this to multiple ones. If this happened, how many days before you're you're in deep kimcha? Or as my accounting professor at Illinois used to say, 
up the proverbial creek with no visible means of locomotion. One person said 32, 35, 40 days, we're, we're in deep trouble. And I was like, you know, that I, I love the scuba dive, which basically, you know, scuba stands for some come up barely alive. But, you know, when you have a scuba tank, you know, you're always looking at your oxygen. And when you, your oxygen is, you know, in the eight to 10 minute area, your scuba is going to dive is going to come to an end. And, and here's what amazes me. These C-level executives really never look at it in that context because that will never happen. Armageddon will never occur. We'll always be able to get our supplies. And, you know, I was final, one final thing I was mentioning, I, I'm on the board of a publicly traded company. You know, we were having a great discussion, you know, the issue with China and chips, right? Well, if China were to, you know, take over Taiwan, everyone says chips, but China, China taking over Taiwan would have a huge impact in the ocean markets. And so when I say, you know, looking at this proactively, you know, China doesn't have to invade Taiwan. They can put a blockade around this little island and make life very difficult. So I asked one C-level executive, what would you do if that occurred? And he said, I prefer not to consider it. And I was like, I, you know, Adrian, I, I just, uh, it, it's a different dialogue, but this is the kind of stuff now we are seeing when we are talking to people about supply chain issues. You know, it's it's just a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that, you know, that 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 classic phrase, right? If you if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? Or you, know, you can't be, it can't be ignorance is bliss. You know, if, you, if that's your strategy, your supply chain strategy, I'd rather not think about it. I'd rather not look at it. You know, uh, I, I'm going to ignore this potential risk or this opportunity. You know, uh, you know, I think you're setting yourself for for failure. I want to go back to you know the supply chain spectrum uh, that you talked about. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've done research as well that kind of confirms your your you know eyes and ears test in terms of the audience standing up and and sitting down. Um, you know, we did we asked a question in one of our Indago surveys recently about you know how would you rate your overall logistics capability? So that's people, processes, technology relative to being able to meet your company objectives and customer requirements. And the, the majority, more than 50, 60%, I forget the exact numbers, but it was more than half, uh, rated it as average or below, right? Um, Isn't that amazing? Which is amazing, which is amazing. I mean, I think it's, uh, and these are these are the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the supply chain executives that are part of our research community. They, they all come from you know, recognizable companies that you would, uh, you know, you, you would uh, know. Um, so, so I thought that was, that was amazing. So, so let's just say, you know, companies are at a two, they're at a three, right? How, how do they get started to move up that, you know, up that spectrum? I mean, what are, what are some of the areas in the, in the work that you've done with clients where kind of are some of the low hanging fruit opportunities, you know, to, to start moving up? Yeah. Well, first of all, we, we say there are three things that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to identify and understand how your supply chain is functioning today. That's number one. The second thing, we have been preaching this now for over a year, you need to stratify your customers. And by that, you know, if 20% if of your customers are 80% of your sales and 80% of your customers are 20% of your sales, the fact that you treat them identical is a huge issue. So we need to understand when we stratify our customers, you know, if you ask a salesman, it has to be done or else we lose the business. Well, the, the reality of it is we, we say when we identify and understand, stratify our customers, 
we, you know, this is why Indago and, you know, your, their research group is so good because you can really test whether our supply chain is based on facts or based on assumptions. And the reality of it is if you have a, a low yielding customer or, you know, one that isn't, you know, driving a lot of margin and this type of thing, you know, the, he may not, or she may not need it the next day. They made, you know, two days out, three days out. When I start making these types of decisions, I now adjust my sailing schedules for my freight. When I adjust my sailing schedules, I can do all sorts of things with LTL and truckload options. So second is I'd stratify the customers. The third thing is get control over your inbound freight. And I have people say to me, well, I don't need to worry about it because the supplier picks it up. It's this, and so I say, do you think that supplier is saying, you know, Adrian's a good guy. He does a lot of great stuff. I'm just going to give him the freight. I said, it's built into the cost of the material. You know, so I have a, 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 a CEO I'm talking to, his cost of goods is somewhere in 150 million bucks. And I said, you understand at a minimum, the freight associated with that 150 million is at least seven to $8 million. He said, no, it isn't because the vendor supplier picks it up. And I'm like, you know, we need to have a, a a recalibration here because you're living, it's an Alice in Wonderland type proposition. So if I understand my supply chain and identify the issues, stratify my customer base now and take a look at how I'm going to manage that customer base and get control of my inbound freight. And if I wanted a fourth one, back it up with great technology and services, I move up the supply chain spectrum. That's how I make cut eight to 20%. You know, I was doing an exercise. I, 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 like I said, talk with a lot of CEOs, you know, 300 million. And I said, okay, so let's just be nice. Your supply chain's 15%. And he said, well, my freight is only, and I said, no. And then he said, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. You know? And so the reality of it is 15%, you know, $300 million, that's 45 million. If I can save you 10%, and the worst we've ever done on these rapid assessments is eight, and we've gone up to 2025. If I can save you 10%, that's that's a reasonably big number, right? And so I, I, I'm at four and a half, five million. And I jokingly said to him, Adrian, and I, I hesitate to say this because somebody who listens to this may say, oh, you're being a little bit arrogant. But I say, you know, let's say for Grinnies, that's 4.8 million bucks a year in savings. That's $400,000 a month. That's 100,000, just shy of 100,000 a week. I said, you know, that's almost $20,000 a day. And I said, you know, you have the dream job. You have the job I've always wanted. And they look and like, where are you going with this? I said, I would love to have a job where I could go to bed at night, throwing away $20,000 a day, 100,000 a week, 400,000, and not lose any sleep over it. I would have so much money. And the guys and gals that I mentioned that to get the picture. And so the question is, how bad do you want to move up that supply chain spectrum? Because if you're serious about it, you're going to do things like join research groups like Indago. You know, you're going to listen to ideas from outsiders, whether it's Mike Regan or others. But you can move up the supply chain. You can get those types of savings. You can use your supply chain to grow and boost sales. You know, and, and that's why I, I, I kind of have to restrain myself. I apologize for getting too amped up about that, Adrian. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, you're obviously very, very passionate about it, but you're right. I mean, it's not a question of you can. I think 
you know, I, I think today you could argue that you must because, um, you know, in light of all the challenges uh, yeah. out there with uh, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's with capacity, with, whether it's with the labor market, I, I think that, you know, years ago, um, you can afford, even though you were throwing $20,000 a day, you can afford to have that some sloppiness in your supply chain, if you will. And you know, yeah. your margins might have been hurt. Maybe you weren't even aware that you you could be making more margin if you were a little bit, you know, more disciplined and, and more fine tuned. But I think you know the, the that margin for sloppiness has really gone away, right? So I think now it's it's you're just not going to be competitive anymore, and you know you may find yourself in a situation where you can't. Uh, you know, you can't compete. And I love the point about the inbound supply chain. And we're actually doing some, we're going to get, uh, do some research on the inbound coming up here in, in the next uh, couple of weeks. And I think it's one of those areas where, you know, a lot of focus is always historically on the outbound side. Yeah. Why? Because, you know, that's what touches the customer, right? So there's a lot of focus, whether it's on time in full or customer experience or providing visibility to the customer in terms of when the shipment's going to arrive. And, and those are all important things. But going back to what we started talking about in terms of taking that holistic perspective is that, hey, if you don't have your inbound in order, um, that's going to impact your outbound as well. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of waste and inefficiency um, on the inbound side as well that, you know, companies need to, you know, identify and take action on and really incorporate it as part of their overall strategy um, and take that holistic approach because what happens on the inbound is going to impact on, on the outbound, you know, as well. I think a lot of companies historically have treated those as two separate operations, right? We've got this team that does the inbound and works with our suppliers. And to your point, it's like, oh, well, we don't, we don't control the freight. Our vendor does. Well, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there where maybe uh, you don't have the visibility or maybe you're spending too much money on the inbound because you don't have control of it, so on and so forth. Um, but I, th I think that's a, that's spot on the, the 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 comment or the recommendation to take a look at the inbound. Can I share two little stories, brief vignettes, and I'll be trying to be brief. Sure. You know, I was I was golfing with a gentleman who was a senior VP for a major distributor, and we were talking about this inbound area, and they spent a lot of money, a lot of money on freight. He said, you know, Mike, a third of my freight cost was dedicated to moving inventory around within my system. And our company wouldn't spend the money to do the inventory sourcing sales forecasting analysis that needed to be done. So I get all this inbound material in and I'm I'm moving it out to different distributions. A third of my freight cost had nothing to do with sales. And the other thing is, I just want to share this with you. I'd be happy to send you this interview. Uh, at the end of April, I had the opportunity to interview a gentleman by the name of Jeff Wilkie. Many of your members of the audience may not know this, but he was the number two guy to Jeff Bezos at Amazon. And he stepped down about 45 days before Jeff Bezos, or a lot of people said he would have been the CEO of Amazon. He's an MIT guy that uh, that David knows very well. And it was an hour-long interview. It's been listened to almost 8,000 times. And he, he talked about how Amazon, Bezos and Jeff and the team, understood that Amazon success would be driven by supply chain superiority. That with their supply chain, they would create a set of customer expectations that they could fulfill cheaper than anybody else. So when I asked him about the supply chain spectrum, he modestly said, well, I'm not there anymore. He said, but it's it's north of four or four and a half, five. So I tell everybody, if I, I'm gonna get myself in trouble here, Adrian, <laughs> you may have to edit this. 
But I tell people when I when I get really amped up, it's okay to have a supply chain that sucks. Really, if your supply chain is a two, you know, that's okay. If everybody else in your industry has a supply chain that sucks. But if someone decides to go Amazon on you, AKA have a four, four and a half supply chain, you have a problem. So at the end of the day, for those of you that haven't bitten off my evangel evangelistic message about having a great supply chain, you need to ask yourself this question. Is hoping that you have a competitor that doesn't go Amazon to you, is that the kind of strategy you want to hang your hat on? And you know, one of the things I mentioned is something you're probably familiar with, was the Alex Partner survey that they did at the beginning of the year, where 72% of the CEOs out of 3,000, 72% were worried about losing their job. And one of the three reasons that they could lose their job was the fact that their supply chains were out of control. So Target announces in July, they're going to have a billion dollar hit because of supply chain issues. And, and it just begs the question, at what point in time, how bad does it have to get before you go, hmm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to that talking logistics stuff that Adrian produces. I'm, you know, and people like Mike are out there. I'm going to at least ask, what's the possibility for my company? I'm going to look at getting a supply chain plan. I am going to map my supply chain. I am going to stress test it. I am going to, you know, customer, you know, stratify inbound technology. And then I move from a two to a three, three to a four, and I save lots of money and everyone. And then they donated to uh, <laughs> your wonderful, your charity there. And everyone, uh, everyone is happy. Yes, that would be the, uh, the, the, the what a wonderful world that, that that would be. But I think it's a great point because I think that, you know, I think a lot of companies have been complacent. They've been comfortable because they, uh, you know, they look around. They have, probably those people in the audience that you talked about, they look around. It's like, okay, I'm I'm not very different. You know, it seems like most of the people on the same boat I am, right? But like, like to your point, all it takes is, you know, for a few handful of companies, you know, competitors to say, hey, we're going to start taking action and move up that spectrum. Yeah. Um, and then that's when, you know, um, you know, the re the real pain and challenges are going to, are, are going to show up. Well, Mike, uh, just to wrap up on, on, on this section, um, you know, what do you see as the biggest lesson learned, you know, from the past two years that supply chain logistics professionals should apply as, you know, we head into 2023? Yeah. First one is obviously we've covered it and you've done a great job with all your writing. Don't take the supply chain for granted. Okay understand it is 12 to 20% of my sales dollar. You cannot take it for, for granted. Second, get used to the bright lights because once it's you're, you're, you, you're dealing with an area that's not 3 million, 5 million, 8 million, you're dealing 70, 80, 90 million companies. You know, it's like the, the guy from IBM was saying in, in his, you know, IBM every year would prioritize, you know, what has to be done. And, you know, the list would be 20 everyone in IBM understood that it was the top three that got the most attention and funds and understand, you know, he said, we finally, with the supply chain crisis, we moved into the top three spot. And, but when you're at the top three spot, guess what you're doing? You're dealing with the board of directors. You're having direct interactions with the CEOs and CFOs and this type of stuff, which begs the question, how prepared are you for that dialogue? You know, I've, I've given another one. Here's the problem. You're frustrated as a logistic professional because they don't understand. The reason they don't understand is you're speaking Mandarin. They, you know, they speak Portuguese type thing. You know, you're you're talking past each other. 
Uh, so that that is a, a great, you're going to be under the bright lights. And then the third that you have to, I think, in my opinion, understand, take calculated, well-researched and thought out risk. You know, I don't mean to brag on you, Adrian, but one of the reasons I think your research group is so important is because it gives people in the group access to best practices across the group. And there are those best practices which may make sense for you, or there are best practices which may make sense at a later time or don't make sense right now. Uh, but you also, when you when you understand that, then if you take risk, understand that if your company doesn't act upon it, as a great supply chain professional, there are a lot of companies that can use your talents. Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are three great points. And particularly the one, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that one of the few positive things out of the pandemic was that it elevated the role and importance yeah. of supply chain to the CEO and CFO. But the flip side of that is what you just said. Well, hey, now you've got their attention. So they're going to be coming to your office or calling you into their office and asking you all sorts of questions. So you've got to be prepared with data, with uh, market understanding, so on and so forth, to be able to intelligently answer the questions that you know, the CEO, the CFO, the board of directors have, and and really be able to articulate a smart strategy and smart action plans to whatever is happening in real time, you know, you know, across the supply chain. So, you know, getting used to the spotlight, I think is a, is, is, is a, is a great, uh, you know, recommendation there. Um, so I, I want to end by shifting gears a little bit here, Mike. Um, so everything we just talked about, I think provided some great insights, some great advice. Um, Obviously, you're very passionate about this, um, as 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 am I. So I think we could both probably, you know, sit here and talk for, uh, you know, a few hours uh, around this. But I think I think we you provided some great uh, food for thought and some great recommendations for for our audience. But shifting gears, I mean, in it, you know, I talked about in the introduction. You know, you put out your two minute uh, uh, warning videos. You've got your newsletter. Provide some great insights and advice about what's happening in the world of supply chain and, and transportation every week. But you also write a words of encouragement email every Friday. And I gotta admit, it's one of the few emails that I look forward to getting. And, and it's really a nice way. <laughs> I mean, I got a ton of emails as I'm sure you do, but it's the one email that I really look forward to getting in my inbox on, on Friday afternoons. And it's a great way to kind of, you know, wrap up the, uh, you know, the week. So for those who are not familiar with your words of encouragement email, tell us briefly what it is and, and more importantly, why did you start writing it? And, and what's been the response from readers and followers? Well, you know, Adrian, I appreciate the opportunity to close out on that note. Uh, Brent and Denise and my mar mar marketing team and I, you know, with the pandemic, you know, it was an ap apocalyptic type. The end is nigh, right? This type of thing. Armageddon. And, and, and the negativity was just overwhelming. And I, I was raised by parents who believed that, you know, having a positive attitude was important. And so, you know, with the pandemic, uh, the I, I like to say that the word of encouragement was written to treat people who need an optrectomy. Okay. Now, your listeners may not be familiar and you may not be familiar, but an optrectomy is a very, very delicate surgery that's only done at a very few hospitals because when a person has an optrectomy, they sever the rectum from the retina and eliminate their thinking thinking. And so I said, you know, there's there's a lot of good stuff happening, you know, Adrian. You know, and, and one of the things you you brought this up, I featured your daughter, okay, who's who's a champion, okay? 
She's graduated. She's, you know, she dealt with the diabetes. You know, she's a champion. The work that you do with your, you know, you're riding the bike and this type of thing. If you look around, there's all sorts of great stuff happening. But, you know, it's, it's, it was basically, I was only going to write it for a couple of months. And I will tell you, it's become one of my favorite things to do because the response that I get to that word of encouragement, it goes out to about 16,000 people. And the open rate on it is typically somewhere in the area of 30 to 40% a week, which, you know, for email is, you know, and, and, and you're very gracious. And I've had people that have gotten back, uh, people shared some really personal stuff, uh, people that lost loved ones during COVID, uh, people that have had uh, done some great things. And, and, you know, the thing of it is also, if you read some of them there, uh, Brent here showed me this story about a guy that was going out on winter mornings in Chicago and he was buying out tamale vendors, tamales, and giving them to food banks just so these people could go home. So I said, well, let's try it. We had a blast. We spent, I think, about 300 bucks and, and we go up to these tamale vendors and say, well, we'll take them all. And they would look, what, all? And so, you know, it's like what you're, you're riding Death Valley, you know? It's great to support that type of stuff. And it, it it doesn't cost a lot. And, you know, if you replace thinking, thinking with, you know, something optimistic, something positive, you know, at the end of the day, I think it makes the world a little bit better place. I, I don't know if that answered your question, but I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And I, I, again, you know, like I said, you know, there, there is, uh, you know, I think so much of what we are bombarded with every day, you know, not only in the world of supply chain logistics, you know, where, where it's a lot of the negative stuff, right? You know, port delays and driver, you know, <laughs> labor shortages, you know, all sorts of problems. Or, you know, obviously you, you watch the daily news, uh, you know, what's happening in the world, everything else. It, you know, you can quickly get depressed or just get one view of, you know, what, what's happening in the world. But uh, I think what your email does, um, to your point, is that, you know, the oval, there's a, overwhelming amount of good in the world and people in the world and, and people that are doing some great stuff. And, um, you know, and, and to me, you know, it's, it's just very uplifting, like I said, to kind of wrap up the week Thanks. with some, some positive, uh, encouragement. And, uh, and like you said, I, you know, full disclosure, like you said, you, you highlighted my daughter who has type one diabetes and our, our logistics leaders for type one diabetes, uh, cure, uh, cycling team, which, um, you know, Transact was a, a team sponsor this year. So we, we're highly appreciative of that in terms of, you know, doing our part, you know, to help uh, find a cure for type one diabetes. So thank you very much for, for that support. And and by the way, folks, I, I was, when one of those words, I actually wore one of the jeans, <laughs> the type one diabetes shirt. If you haven't gotten one, you ought to call Adrian because it, it's hot looking. Okay. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, one of the other things I've tried to do with the word of encouragement, just is a, a subtle reminder. I, I, I typically like to tie in a little verse from scripture that kind of helps remind people God's still in control. He isn't sitting up there slapping his head saying, "Uh Oh, this is big. This is, this is, this is a problem. At the end of the day, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, you know, I don't care. Arthur Brooks talks about the fact, you know, happiness and this type of thing. We, we all need to lighten up. And if you're a shipper, you know, join your Indago research thing and uh, it's, it's, we'll get through it. We'll get through Absolutely. Well, on that note, Mike, again, thank you. I mean, you're a busy guy. I know you've given a lot of presentations, obviously, not only with you know, your, your role there at Transact, but in, in other organizations. So I really appreciate you making the time you know, to be with us today. Adrian, it's an honor and a privilege, and I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. 
Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Transact website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Mike, uh, you can post it there, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us. I look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.